year, and we've been studying through the late summer, and we find ourselves today in Romans chapter 13. It's been, it's been fun to see Paul's theology develop as we move from chapter to chapter and see how he's building from one lesson to another. Last week we saw him talk about love, but today we see him talk about how love indeed is the fulfillment of all the law. And he goes on to talk about how we should be so enacting this idea, this theological truth, that it would change the very ways that we live and indeed hopefully change the community in which we live. Hear now these words from the book of Romans, chapter 13, beginning in verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For if the one who loves another has fulfilled the law, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment that are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and in drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. There was a great band back in the last century that sang a song called Love is All You Need. You might have heard it a time or two. It still plays on Muzak and still plays sometimes on the radio. And it is truly a wonderful song, but this teaching of Paul's is so much greater. Because for centuries, for millennia even, the people of God sought to find ways to honor God with their lives and living by following a code of morals or a code of ethics or a code of laws. And they fell into this trap believing that if they could check off all the boxes, well, I didn't kill anybody this week and I, I didn't steal anything this week and I, and I didn't covet anything this week, therefore I'm good with God. They felt like if they could check those boxes and say, I didn't do this, that, and the other, then I must be righteous and I'm good. Jesus comes along and scrambles that all up. He says it's not just a matter of following a bunch of rules. It's, it's not just a matter of do's and don'ts. It's not just a matter of, of obeying the law, no matter whose interpretation of it is. What it really is a matter of is love, true love. Because true love, if you have it, if you possess it, if you allow true love to be the guiding force of your life, then all those laws and all those lists and all those morality codes, they will simply just fade into the background. Because you will do what is good and what is right and what is just and what is true because you are a person who is moved by and motivated by the one thing that truly flows from the very essence of God, and that is love. Love is all you need. Now, this lesson relates directly back to the gospel lesson that we read a minute ago from Matthew. In that passage, it, we see that, that 
Jesus is giving instruction on how people should seek to redeem other people. That passage has been used for centuries in the church to be a model for church discipline. If somebody in the church is living a sinful or evil life, this is what you do. First of all, one person confronts them. If they don't change, then two or three go. And if they don't change, you drag them before the church. And if you read church history, you'll know they used to do that. Like, I could go out there and get you and drag you up here and accuse you of being a sinner. And you would have to repent before the rest of your church family or else we'd kick you out. And they thought they were properly utilizing that scripture. But if you read that scripture in its totality, and if you read it in the light of who Jesus Christ is, it's very, very different. For you see, it says, if the person refuses to repent when one comes or when two or three come or when the whole church confronts them, you are then to treat them like a Gentile or a tax collector. And we have to remember how Jesus treated Gentiles and tax collectors. He treated them like the most honored guests. You see, Jesus wasn't about judging people and ostracizing people and casting people away or kicking them out. Jesus was all about redemption and inclusion. And Jesus intentionally sought out those who were the greatest sinners and those who were filled with the greatest evil ideas to show love and compassion and redemption to them. Love, you see, is the fulfillment of the law. The law of God was not given to us to separate us and to drive us away, but to bring us to a point of redemption. And Jesus sought to teach that. And now Paul, in talking to the church, is seeking to teach that, that we just need to have love in our hearts. I spend a lot of time in church. I spend a lot of time out of church, too. And I'll just confess to some of y'all who don't know me too well yet, I sometimes frequent places where they sell brewed beverages. And I meet wonderful people there. And I've developed great relationships with people there. And I've seen some of those folks open themselves up to spiritual conversations there. And I've seen some of those folks even find their way to church from there. I think there's good in that. Now, if I was going just to get inebriated, we're going to get to that in a minute, this drunkenness and licentiousness stuff. If I was going for that purpose and that purpose was the driving force of my life, then there would be issues and one of y'all would need to pull me aside and say, I think we need to have a talk. And if I didn't change, then maybe two or three of y'all might want to try to redeem me. And if I still didn't change, then maybe you might need to have a church-wide conversation. But it should all be redemptive, right? Because that's the model that Jesus gave us. I should be living my life inside the church and outside the church as an actor seeking to bring God's love and redemption to all people wherever my life might lead me to love as Christ's love, because love is all we need to fulfill the law and to fulfill our calling in Christ. Love is all we need. I love it when he gives these examples. If you truly have love, you don't have to worry about these things, adultery and murder and stealing and covetousness. And you know, it just makes sense. If you truly loved your neighbor, why would you steal from them? If you truly loved your neighbor, why would you seek to have an affair with their spouse? 
If you truly loved your neighbor, why would you want to kill them ever? It's so elementary, but yet we so struggle with it. Paul wants us to know, Jesus wants us to know, get in touch with the true love of God and let the love of God be that which is the driving force in our lives and all else will take care of itself. We don't have to be religious. We can just be spiritual because true spirituality comes and flows from the love of God which will remake us and remold us. Now the second point from this text today comes in verses 11 and the first part of verse 12. And the second point is simply this, because Paul, as we know, is, is probably somewhere near the end of his earthly life and ministry, and he's wanting to make sure that people understand that there has to be some urgency about the gospel and an urgency about their faith and urgency about spirituality, because when you're coming near the end, you want to be sure that your legacy is fulfilled and you want to be sure that all that you believe in has found its place. And so he says, besides this, you know that the time... And the moment it's near, wake up from sleep, for salvation is nearer now than we first became believers. The night is gone and the day is near. Paul is telling these people that they need to have a sense of urgency about them. And if Paul were here today, he would look at us in our church and say, we need to have a sense of urgency about us. We do. Individually, those of us who have not yet been living our lives fully for Christ, allowing our lives to be fully marked and transformed by the love of God, we need to have some urgency about that because that's what God and Christ are calling us to do, to live our lives as conduits of God's love. We need to have some urgency about that. And we collectively as a church, we need to have some urgency too. We need to have some urgency too. All around us are thousands of people, many of whom don't have a relationship with God, many of whom don't have an understanding of faith, many of whom don't have any faith in Christ. We need to have some urgency about our calling because we as the people of God and we as the people of Christ aren't called just to come together on Sundays to praise God and, and, and be thankful for our salvation? No. We are called to be ministering agents of grace out in the world. That's our calling. That's our purpose. God doesn't save people just so that they can go to heaven when they die. God saves people so that they can be part of God's team. And on God's team, they're not supposed to be any bench warmers. Everybody's a player. Everybody's in the game. Everybody should be out there doing the work of God and the will of God all the time. And so we have to, we have to develop this sense of, of urgency, of urgency. Now, we've had an incredible example of that this last week as that, that hurricane got bigger and bigger and moved across. And I don't know about you, but there, there, there have been times where I just would turn on the TV and just I couldn't look away, you know, and the reporters are out there blowing in the wind and all this stuff. And our governor got on, on TV last week. I just love it. I want y'all to pretend like it's at your back door right now, right now. Pretend like it's at your back door right now. And if it were at your back door right now, what would you do? Well, you'd get prepared. 
Well, pretend like it's at your back door right now. You see, he was trying to instill in us the sense of urgency. The sense of urgency to get ready and do whatever was necessary to prepare ourselves, our homes, our families, our neighbors for an impending storm. Paul's trying to communicate the same thing. We need to have a sense of urgency about us. We don't need to just say, well, you know, another Sunday goes by, another month goes by, another year goes by. We need to understand that God is calling us, God is calling you today to leave this hour of worship and to go into the world and to be someone who is an emissary for God and an emissary for Christ, someone who believes so much in the love of God and the love of Christ that it has changed you. And that you're no longer going to be living your life just for yourself, but you're going to be living your life for God and seeking to, to demonstrate that love by giving yourself away to other people. That's the urgency that we need to have. That's the urgency that our church needs to have. That's the, the urgency that all Christians need to have. An urgency that believes that we have a purpose and a calling, and that is to share this incredible, all-fulfilling love with other people. Now he concludes this passage today by giving us an important lesson. Once we understand that we're supposed to be all about love, and once we have this sense of urgency about us that we're supposed to be out there sharing God's love and Christ's love with other people all the time, we need to make sure that we do it in a way that's not heretical or hypocritical. He says, let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not reveling, not in reveling and drunkenness or in debauchery or licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no desires for the provision of the flesh to gratify its desires. This is where the rubber meets the road. We all like the idea that all we need is love. Check. Who doesn't like love? And who doesn't like to see themselves as a loving person? We're good on that. We, we want to take all of God's love we can get. We want to take all the church love we can get. And we want to see ourselves as a good, loving person. We can do that. Okay, and then there's a second thing, and the preacher made a point, but I'm not sure about it, that urgency thing. And I understand I'm supposed to be out in the world being like, Christ to other people, but maybe next week. So we're, we're thinking about that one. And then here comes the hard one. When you're out in the world, when you're out seeking to live your life for Christ, when you're out seeking to be this conduit of God's love, you need to do it in a way that is not hypocritical. You don't need to live your life where those things which define you as a person in your relationships are all about reveling and drunkenness or debauchery and licentiousness. And you don't need to be someone who is always out there quarreling or involved in one kind of jealousy or disagreement or another. But instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Back when I was in college... Some of y'all are in college today. They had these little plastic wristbands, WWGJD. And it, for some of us, meant we want Jack Daniels. Ha, ha, ha. It was supposed to be a joke. 
It was supposed to be, what would Jesus do? It was supposed to remind us all the time when we wore that brace and we saw those little letters that we were supposed to be acting like Jesus all the time. And it had its place. It had its moment. But what we need to do is not wear little bracelets or wear crosses around our necks or wear Christian t-shirts. What we need to do is we need to have Christ so fully in our hearts and so fully in our minds that we don't need little external reminders that what we have is really something that flows from within. While I was in Atlanta, I used to visit a monastery outside the city and there, having conversations with some of the monks, um, learned a lot. In the back of their sanctuary, above the altar, was this incredible image. And it was like this giant heart. And it was supposed to represent the heart of Jesus. And I had this conversation with one of the monks one day. And he says, he says you, you Protestants... He says, you're always worried about getting Jesus into your heart. He says, we are seeking to get into the heart of Jesus. Well, I think we need to have both. We need to understand what the heart of Jesus is, but we need to also be sure that we have Jesus in our hearts, the seat of our being. And when he's there, then love will be that which defines us then we will have a sense of urgency. And then we can go into the world having put on the armor of light and reflect Christ's light and love for others. This is the word of God for us today. I hope that we can hear it and receive it and faithfully live it in our lives. If you will now stand and join me as we affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed.